0: This morning's scripture reading is taken from Luke chapter 1, verses 8 through 17. In the Blue Pew Bible, it can be found on page 878. Again, the text is Luke 1, verses 8 through 17, found on page 878 of the Pew Bibles. Hear now the word of the Lord from the Gospel of Luke. Once when Zacharias' division was on duty, and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot. According to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshippers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayers have been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah, to turn the hearts of parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord.
1: Let's begin with prayer this morning. Heavenly Father, thank you for the, the beauty, the wonder, the wisdom, the welcome that is found in your word, Father. This this morning we long to be renewed by it, to have it change us from the inside out. We long to be made like Jesus. Father, we come as um, those who are hurting, as those who are uh, sinful, as those who are um, perhaps struggling to have hope, uh, struggling to know the way. Uh, Father, as uh, as as hurting, but also um, wanting to go our own way, wanting to have our way, and Father, we just pray that you would send your Spirit to subdue us, uh, to encourage us, to fill us with to surprise us with joy and goodness and beauty. So, Father, please, I pray that you would be present in a mighty and merciful way this morning, Father. Without you, we are lost. Without you, we are we have no hope we were without you and uh, we were without, without hope and without you in this world so father please father we we make uh, father we make no mistake father without you all is all is hopeless so father please send your spirit the spirit of the reigning jesus christ the spirit of the one who has gone before us and be present now Father, save us, rescue us, even this morning, for we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I can remember uh, when I was about, I think about seven or eight years old, my parents told me that we were going to a fair. And I was so excited about it. I mean, there's going to be rides, there's going to be cotton candy. I had all these ideas in my mind of how amazing it was going to be. And we got in the car. We were actually in Seattle at the time, and we drove for a lot longer than I thought up to a, a town uh, called Vancouver. Which I had never been to before, didn't know anything about. It was 1986, and it turns out in 1986 the World's Fair was in Vancouver. And so when I showed up, I'm thinking, you know, pony rides. I'm thinking, um, you know, you know, all kind of popcorn and things like that. The, the World's Fair was completely different. And in fact, to me as a as a six, or a seven or eight year old, it was a lot more boring. And I can remember just being dragged around and my parents saying, Bruce, follow us, come along, stop dragging your feet, telling me what to do, telling me what to do. And I was so tired of being told what to do. Don't sit over there, do this, do that. And I just remember wanting to go, just wanting to go anywhere but be in the fair. And I remember uh, I saw something that, that c- captured my attention. And I looked at it for a while. I don't know what, it, I can't remember what it was, but I was just enamored by it. And then I turned around to To look to uh, to um, you know to look for my parents, and they were gone. And immediately, this sort of panic and fear struck me. I looked all around. I'm going to walk all around, trying to pretend like everything was okay because I didn't want anyone to know that I was scared. But this fear was welling up within me of wondering where are they, and what am I going to do? I mean, this is the World's Fair. This isn't some sort of local county fair or something like that. It was huge. And suddenly in that moment, all I wanted was one thing. Someone to tell me where my parents were. Someone to give me instructions. Someone to tell me where to go or what to do to find them. How many of you like to be told what to do? How many of you like long for someone to just to dictate how life should be? Well, on the whole, we want to do what we want to do when we want to do it, don't we? But there really are times when we long to be told what to do. For example, when we're lost and not just lost as a kid. How many of you have been driving somewhere and you, you take a wrong turn or you're, 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 you're in a place that you've never really been before? And suddenly you have that aching feeling that you've taken the wrong turn and you have no idea where you are. Of course, these days we often have our phones, we can pull out Google Maps and we can find our way. But perhaps you've been in circumstances where Google Maps have misled you. And you're like, oh my goodness, where, where am I? So that sense of being lost, but it's not just when we're lost that we want someone to tell us what to do. It's when we're sick. How many of you have been sick in the last year or two? And you would love for someone, to just the doctor, to say, here, this is what's wrong with you. Take this or do this. And we long to be told what to do to be restored to health. Or again, I mentioned that in our call to worship this morning. What if we're trying to build something? It could be as simple as a toy, but maybe it's something that we got from from Costco or from from Ikea, and we have to put it together. And we want to be, someone just tell me what to do. So, and here's the thing the the defining feeling, I think one of the defining feelings of our times, I mentioned, is confusion. We're confused. We don't know what to do. In fact, and, and one of the reasons for that is our culture, again and again and again, is saying what? Do whatever you want to do, choose your own way. How many Disney films? I mean, Disney animated films are built on this idea of overcoming what others say to you to, to make your own way. I remember growing up, one of the, one of the uh, animated films that was most popular in, as a child was uh, the Disney film, The Little Mermaid. And it was about a young girl, basically, who is, is, desires to throw off the constraints of her father of a world that she knows under the sea, Right? And, to, and, to, and to make her way into a world unknown, to, 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 to uh, forget her father's advice, her father's words of warning, her father's constraint, and to do her own thing. And that's understandable, because so often our culture's ways, our family's traditions, our, 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 our culture's way of doing life is oppressive. It is constraining. And so we think, well, what, are, what's, what else is there to do but to throw that off and to go our own way, but the question is: How good is our own way? How good is it? How good is our lives when we do what we want? Um, several years ago, when my daughters, uh, my twin daughters, were in seventh grade, if I remember, um, they were they were I think if I remember right, they were on the bus talking to some of the kids, and uh, one of the boys had gotten a brand new phone. And at the time, my daughters did not have phones. It was, a, it was an ongoing topic of discussion when they would get a phone, and they wanted to have a phone, understandably. And, I, and this boy who had just gotten his phone, as he was talking about it, when kids were saying, oh, this is this really cool new phone, I don't know how it came up, but at some point in the conversation, he admitted, he said this, since I've gotten this phone, my grades have gotten worse. And he said, I spend way too much time on this thing. <laughs> right? How many of us can relate to that? We get something that we think we want, and it ends up actually hurting us. Wait a minute. What am I doing? And that's, that's what I want to talk about this morning, this sense of regret. Have you ever had regrets about life? You look back and you think, man, That that decision that I made, that decision that I knew that God didn't want me to do, that I knew was an act of disobedience, that decision wasn't just a decision to take a disobedient path. It was a decision to take a dumb path. So how often have you looked back and said, if only I had known if only I had the foresight to choose the right path, that is, the righteous path. And it makes you wonder, it goes, well, how often is the disobedient road the dumb road? Just rarely? You know, so there are a few laws that are a good idea, a few commands of Scripture that really are smart. The rest of them are just annoying and irritating and just lead to, right? How often is the disobedient road the dumb road? How, r- rarely? Regularly? Is disobedience usually desirable? Or is it dumb? You know, there's a, a, a movie that came out quite a while ago called Spanglish. And in the movie, there's a, a relationship between the mother and the daughter. And the mother has uh, lived a very um, unwise life. And, there's an, and But the daughter is going through some struggles, and there's this beautiful exchange where the daughter says, she says, mom, you were an alcoholic and a wildly promiscuous woman during my formative years so that I am in this fix right now because of you. And the mom says this. She says, you "You have a solid point, dear. (laughs) But right now, the lessons of my life are coming in handy for you. See, there's this sense that we only get to live life once. And that what we thought was a good idea at the time, we look back on it and we think, oh, if only I could do it differently. See, what if the way, listen to this, this is so important, what if the way to real, lasting joy to real peace, to real life, is radically different from what we think? What if it's not just different? What if it's incredibly counterintuitive? What if it's 180 degrees from where we're headed? Let me ask it this way. What if sin doesn't just mess with our hearts and our wills making us do bad things? What if it messes with our minds Making us think bad thoughts, not just bad, morally bad thoughts, but think badly, as in dumb, stupid, foolish thoughts? What if sin not only hijacks our hearts, but it hijacks our minds, our intellect, and intellect? What if sin doesn't just make us sinful, it makes us stupid? What if sin makes us not only failures, but fools? How many of you think of sin along those lines? Just turn, we, before we jump into Luke 1, turn just real quickly to the right. Turn to the, the, the book of Romans. I want you to see this, because I think it's something that often is neglected in how we think about sin. In Romans, this is page uh, 966 in your Pew Bible. Paul is diagnosing the human condition. He's describing who we humans are. And I think this is so important. In Romans chapter 1, verse 21, again, this is on page 966 of your Blue Pew Bible if you want to follow along. He's describing the fallenness, the brokenness. He's diagnosing humanity and all its sin and rebellion. And he says this in verse 21, For although they knew God, that is humanity, they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God, nor gave thanks to Him. But listen to this. But their thinking became what? futile. And their foolish hearts were darkened. And it gets even scarier. It's not that it's just, hey, guess what, I'm a fool. You know, I, I guess we're all just fools. I guess we all can't think very, very well. We're all just, our thinking's futile. No. What does it say in the next verse? Although they claimed to be wise. This is a very scary situation that Paul is describing. He's saying what sin has done is not just made us fools, it's fools who what? who think they're wise. In other words, sin has made us a bunch of teenagers. Right? We all think, we, we know everyone else is stupid, and we've got to figure it out. That is a very scary situation. Verse 22, although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. And it's bound up with the very character of God, verse 23. And they exchange the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. So again, we're asking this question. Let's turn, let's turn back to Luke chapter 1. We're asking this question this morning. What if sin not only makes us do bad things, but makes us think bad things or just think badly? I can remember when I was, uh, I think I mentioned this on Friday night, I remember, mentioned survival training when I was in the military. I was in, Survival training was in the, it was the pitch black of night. I was there with two other guys we were trying to make our way, evade uh, those who were trying to catch us. And uh, throughout that night, was a, there, was, there, was, there was this cloud covering, so you couldn't see any stars or anything. The only way that we could find our way was through a compass, through land navigation. And the two guys who were with me, as we looked at our maps, and as we were following the compass several times, they were like, hey, Bruce, hold on, time out. We really think it's that way. Like, we need to be going this way. And I, I had the compass, and I said, well, the compass says that way. And I said, no, but we just, we really feel like it's uh, we, that's over here. And I said, guys, should we trust our feelings, or should we trust the compass? Should we trust our emotions, or should we trust our instruments. See, this, 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 the, the, the question is, is human, our, our human diagnosis, our human condition, such that we can't trust ourselves? And it raises the question, whom can we trust? Now turn to the, turn to the left real quick, all the way to the Psalms, because I want, I want to just, this morning, I want you to see the beauty, the wisdom of God's law. Turn to Psalm 19. As a as a kid uh, in junior high, high school, Psalm 19 was one of my favorite psalms because it, it animated. It, it gave me a sense that the gods that the world that we live in was a world that was that was it was symbolic. It pointed to something more, and it speaks in here. Psalm 19 has Psalm 19 is broken into two parts. First, the first six verses are about how God reveals His wonder through His world. And it just celebrates how through the stars and the sky and the heavens and all the, the wonder of this world is pointing to God himself, to his glory, to his character. That there's a sense, and just as Paul has spoken of in Romans 1, there's a sense in which there's order to this world. I was speaking to a man recently in the hospital about, um, about the Lord, and he mentioned um, that, you know, it just escapes me right now, the name of it, but, but there's, a, there's a word or a, a, a name for a number that appears again and again in nature, does anyone know what I'm talking about? It's like 1.86. It's like the natural na- ratio, uh, nature's ratio, or something like that. But it's a number that appears again and again. It's all throughout, found all throughout, uh, just the, the 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 world. But it's this notion of a constant that is there that spe- that points to something more. Again, it's it, it's uh, so. These first six verses are about general revelation, but then. The the the, the, Saul, the the David the psalmist moves to just to just in verse seven to discuss something more. Again, this is page four seventy one. Listen to this verse seven. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. Don't let those poet, poetry uh, mislead you here. This is making those who are simple. Wise. What what are God's commands able to do? Make you wise. What does it mean to be simple? It means to be gullible, easily fooled. To be simple is to see the world in black and white to see things as binary, this or that, rather than seeing that there's nuance, there's detail, there's sophistication. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, they're trustworthy, and all of them are righteous. Now listen to this, verse 10. This animated me as a child. This galvanized my heart. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. By them is your servant warned. Isn't that amazing? These laws, they warn us. Have you ever been warned in a way that's just really helpful? Right? How many of you, you're driving along, and suddenly that warning light comes on. and You're like, oh, I need to do something. Right? That engine light comes on, and you don't, you don't want to keep driving and destroy your engine, right? You're thankful for that warning. You've averted disaster. God's law, God's laws, God's word speaks in this way that warns us, but it doesn't just warn us away from something. What does it say next there? I love these words. By them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. I mean, come on, how good, how good could it be? Not only is there warning, there is reward for us here. And then he continues, Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. That's such a beautiful phrase. So listen, his word reveals wisdom, the best way to go, and it is the wisdom of the righteous. Think about that if disobedience really is always dumb? What if obedience, what if his law is always better? It's always wiser. And that's why I want to just turn very briefly here to look at Luke chapter 1, because it celebrates. I love this beautiful idea of how uh, when Gabriel appears to uh, Zechariah, there's this, he describes the ministry of, of John the Baptist, precisely in these wonderful words. I just think it's so beautiful how he describes it. It's it's there in verse, which again, this is is back on page 878, uh, verse 16. This is so beautiful. He, this is Gabriel speaking of John the Baptist, he will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. He will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous. I love that phrase, the wisdom of the righteous. Uh, Gabriel is saying to Zechariah, your son will show the beauty of God's law to God's people again. They will discover that his law is more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They will rediscover that the law warns, and keeps them from danger. They will discover that the law rewards them. They will see the beauty of God's law, that it is a better way, not simply the right way. And so you have this this moment, this beautiful moment, where we discover that the grace that God gives us, listen to this, this is so important, at the center of the gospel is the gift of the blood of Christ. Christ you know that. That is what makes us a Christian. It is what rescues us. It is what redeems us. It's what gives us eternal life. It is the gift of all gifts. But do you know that along with that amazing act of grace is another act of grace, the giving of his law, the giving of his word to guide us, to instruct us in the way of wisdom. Listen, gang, God's law isn't just some fine print. Oh, that we have to do because we've been given the gift of His Son. Again, as I mentioned in our call to worship this morning, there's a celebration in, the Psalm, in Psalm 147 of, of saying, listen, He's given us His law. He's done that for no other nation. We have the blueprints. We have the instructions. We know how to live life. One of the things that we're doing, uh, just we just started this re- recently in... Um, one of the things that we just started uh, recently in our, our family life is I will get up in the morning, just on my own, and just very quickly read through one of the chapters of Proverbs, you know, chapters 10 through 31. And I'll pick out two, three, four, five of them that I think are just really salient, really relevant to the, to the life of our family. And then over, di- over dinner, at night, I'll, we'll just talk about them. We'll describe them. We'll discuss them. We'll, we'll sort of uh, percolate over them. And, and, and what is going on here? What's behind this? Because that's what the Proverbs are. Proverbs are these sort of mysteries. They're little, tiny, bite-sized mysteries. They'll say something. You're like, huh, how is that true? And you wrestle with it. And you discover it. And you talk about it. And it has been so helpful for our children. It's been helpful for me and Sarah. often very convicting. It's like, Boy, I've really I really blew that one. Right? And let's just take, let's take a few minutes here. I want to just give you a few examples. In fact, um, in fact, let me just, I'm going to use two case studies here. I'm going to talk about, from Proverbs, our words and our wealth. Okay? So again, the, the, the central idea, we don't have to, so to keep the big picture here, the question is this, what if his commands are our compass? What if his law actually always leads to a Better life, even if every voice around us and within us is saying otherwise. I don't know how many of you kids, when you, when you were adults, when you were kids, you would times where you'd spin around, you'd spin around in place, and you'd keep spinning and keep spinning and keep spinning, and then you would try to walk straight. Did You ever do that? And how successful were you at walking straight? Yeah, you did inevitably. In fact, we'd do it as kids, we'd watch each other do it because it was just so funny to watch the person try to walk straight, and they couldn't begin to do that. See, sin sort of takes our hearts and our minds and spins them around and spins them around and spins them around so that when we try to walk straight in life, we end up veering off in one direction and usually falling to the ground. Or those of you who are familiar with, uh, uh, with, uh, with uh, with flight know that a pilot can be um, operating their aircraft, and if they enter into a sustained turn or even a, a sustained spin, what happens is that their bodies, their ears, uh, begin to become accustomed to that turn. And often in an aircraft, if you're turning and you're not accelerating, what's happening? You're going to start to slide and go and lose uh, elevation. So much so that you can be in a spin, and you get used to it, and you don't realize you're turning, you don't realize you're actually losing altitude, because be, you're, you're, you've been re acclimated to the turn and you enter into a, what's called a graveyard spin. And there's a reason it's called a graveyard spin. But they just don't know it. And see, that's what sin does to us. It has gotten us, it's, 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 we have lost our equilibrium, this ability to walk straight on our own. So let's look at just these two examples here. First, our words. Turn with me to the left, Proverbs. Turn to Proverbs, back to Proverbs here. I just just love the wisdom of Proverbs here. It's just such a a timely, beautiful thing as I get older to have these words of wisdom that go before us. Look at Proverbs 15.1. Just a a few minutes here talk about words. How do we use our words? And again, the idea is that God's law is a better way. It is the wise way. And so Proverbs 15.1 says that it's better to speak gently you see it there? It says, A gentle answer turns away wrath. So often what do we want to do? We want to just yell, we want to scream, we want to be cutting, we want to be merciless with our words, get the point across, bark at someone, make someone move, whatever it might be. But this says, no, a gentle answer turns away wrath. I love that. Elsewhere in the Proverbs it says, hey, listen to this, it says a gentle tongue can break a bone. I can remember when I was uh, in, I was, uh, in uh, basic training and uh, we, 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 as a flight, as a unit, we had made some really big mistakes and our drill, our, all of our instructors were yelling and screaming at us and the commander, the guy who was over, over the entire flight, he came out, very characteristic of him, and all the other guys stopped screaming. He very quietly said, you know, I'm just really disappointed in you guys. And he walked away. And that quiet, gentle word of disappointment was more piercing, was more effective, was more weighty than all the screaming and yelling in the world. A gentle answer turns away wrath. A gentle tongue can break a bone. It is better to speak first gently. Look at Proverbs 12, 14. Turn to the left here. Proverbs, I'm sorry, 12, 18. says this, the words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Isn't that beautiful? Our reckless words, what's a reckless word? The, word? the Hebrew here speaks of negligence. Words that just are just, we're not really thinking. We're not trying to hurt someone maybe. We're not being malicious, but we're being negligent. We're not thinking through our words. As as I've been teaching my daughters to drive, we talked about how important it is to be aware of what's going on. I said, if you're driving down the street in the neighborhood and you're looking at your phone and you accidentally hit someone, a child or someone walking by, you didn't mean to do it, but you will still be held responsible. Why? Because you're driving a a 2,000-pound car that could kill someone. And although you weren't trying, you didn't mean to do it, it's still, you're still culpable. You're still reckless. And when we speak words, and we're not meaning to hurt someone, but we just haven't thought them through. We haven't said, time out, let me think about this. These words have impact. This car has 2,000 pounds to kill someone. These words, says this, says this proverb are like swords. You ever heard someone just, just yesterday just yesterday, a friend was over, and my son Winston was, had, had this stick. And he's just, just playing with this stick. You know what I mean? I'm not Winston, I'm sorry, Harrison. And I said, Harrison, be careful with the stick. And then he just went like this, and, it hit, and it hit the guy in the head. <laughs> and he wasn't trying, but he was being, but again, he just didn't know, right? But the point is that you don't have to try to hurt someone with your words for it to, for it to actually be disastrous. So when we use our words, we use them gently. And we use them helpfully. Reckless words pierce like the sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Before we open our mouth, we say, you know what? How can this bring healing? How can this bring life? How can it be helpful? Uh, The next one is Proverbs 18, 13. Proverbs, turn to the right again. Proverbs 18, 13. To answer before listening, that is folly and shame. How many of you have ever spoken too quickly? You just, you, you have, the you, b- 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 person's talking, and before they've even finished, you've got your answer. Because you know everything. Right? We've heard all we need to know. We've gotten it all figured out. See, to, spe- to speak wisely, is to speak gently, helpfully, and slowly, to be slow to speak. To say, wait a minute, have I heard all that I need to hear before saying something? Have I asked all I needed to ask? Because when we don't do that, when we ask, when we answer before listening, what does it say? That is folly and shame. It's stupid, and you end up embarrassed. Does that make sense? And so again, he's saying, hey, it's better. The wisdom of the righteous is to to speak gently, helpfully, slowly, slowly. Then finally, let's, let's look at 24, 26, Proverbs 24, 26. <clears throat> I love this stuff. Uh, this is a beautiful proverb. Proverbs 24, 26. Make sure I've got that right here. Yes, Proverbs 20, on page 563, verse 26 says, An honest answer is like a kiss on the lips. Now what does that mean? What does it mean to speak honestly and why is it like a kiss on the lips? See, this is why Proverbs are so interesting. You sit there and you're kind of like, oh, what, what, why? where is this? So what, a, what a memorable metaphor. The honest answer is like a kiss on the lips. You know, when someone's honest with you and they just lay it out there, they just tell you what they're really thinking, they share, they open up, it's beautiful. It can, be, it can be challenging, it can be hurt, or maybe hard in some ways, but it's honest. And that, and that word of honesty is a word of vulnerability. Right? It's easier to just to kind of de posture. It's easier to not say anything at all. It's easier to be controlling in some way. But when you actually say what's on your heart, it's, you're, you're becoming vulnerable. And listen to this with that vulnerability comes intimacy. You show me a marriage, you show me a relationship where neither person is willing to open up and say what's on their heart. And I'll show you a marriage with no intimacy. An honest answer is like a kiss on the lips. The wisdom of the righteous is to speak gently, helpfully, slowly, honestly, but finally, humbly. Look at verse twenty look at chapter twenty-eight, verse thirteen. Twenty-eight, verse thirteen. It's on. Uh, it's on page five sixty seven. Whoever conceals their sins does not prosper, but whoever confesses and renounces them finds mercy. How do the wiz, How do the wise? How do the? How do the wiz, The wisdom of the, of the righteous. How does it cost to use our words humbly to actually confess and own our sin? Those who confess their sins and renounce them find mercy. Just this past week, or no, not this past week, it was a couple weeks ago, one of my daughters, one of my twin daughters, uh, I don't remember what, what the issue was, but she thought that she had, she had offended or, or, or um, done something wrong against one of her teachers. And she emailed the teacher and just apologized, confessed, and hey, listen, this is what I did, I'm so sorry, we want to apologize for that. And the next day, the teacher talked to her in class, and said, you know what, I've never had any, any student in my entire teaching career ever apologize. And she was so impressed and so grateful. It meant so much to her. See, so when we confess our sins, there's, an, there's, a, there's a risk that we're taking. Right? We don't know exactly how it's going to happen, but the wisdom of the righteous says, yes, this is the better way. Trust me, it's going to go better. I mean, not, I mean, maybe there might be challenges, there might be difficulties, it might strain the relationship, but in the end, it's going to be a better deal. The wisdom of the righteous is to speak gently, helpfully, slowly, honestly, and humbly. And of course, when we look at the words of Je- the life of Jesus, were his words not gentle? Okay, were they not helpful? Were they not honest? Were they not humble? They were so beautiful. Jesus' words. And you know, Jesus, uh, we often skip over it, but regularly and repeatedly, what does Jesus say when he introduces, when he was about to say something? Then the old King James was what, Truly, truly I say to you. Right? Amen, amen, lego humin. Truly, truly, I say to you. He's saying, I speak to you words of truth, words of life, words that truly help. Do you see the wisdom of the righteous? What if in the new year, 2022, you said, I want to walk with the wisdom of the righteous? I want to discover, and again, you know, and, and going back to Luke 1, this is, this, I love how it speaks, how, how Gabriel says, he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous. When I was a kid, I thought long and hard about whether I wanted, or I wanted to be a Christian. And you know one of the things that really got me? Is I envied my parents' life. I said, you know, they're living in a wise... I didn't use his words, but like they're living smartly. They're living wisely. I saw Christianity as something that was beautiful. I saw his law as something that brought life and blessing. As my parents managed their money, as the way they used their words, the way they handled conflict, the way they did life was beautiful. And so, as we conclude here, I'm gonna just—I don't want to—I want to take a little too much time to focus on words. I don't want to overwhelm you. But we we could easily walk through Proverbs and speak of wealth and talk about the beauty, the wisdom of how Proverbs call us to use our wealth. We we know from the Gospels that Jesus says that I am the way. Do you believe that? That he's not just the way to the Father, as amazing, as central as that is in his sacrifice. But he says, I am the way, and then since I offer, I offer you not only welcome through the cross, through my death, but I offer you wisdom, a way of living that is truly better. Jesus, Jesus, these wonderful words where Jesus says this: He says, The Queen of the South. Arose and came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And now there is one. Now there is one here who is greater than Solomon. Do you believe that Jesus had to? Are you willing to come from the ends of the earth? Are you willing to make that effort to strive to learn to grow to sit at the feet of Jesus and li- and to learn and know and live the wisdom? of the righteous. Let me close with this. You know, the early church, you find in the book of Acts, the early church, you know what it was called? They were were called a few, I mean, at first they became called Christians, but they were known as a sect, a Jewish sect. You know what they were called? They were called the Way. The Way. Isn't that beautiful? Why is that? Because they had a way of life, a way of living that was better, it was beautiful. It was the way of the righteous. Let's close. Let's, let's uh, close in prayer.